What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain What's up, y'all? I'm here to talk about Kettle and Fire again because it's some of my favorite shit. In this very episode, I'm going to actually talk about a time when Kyle sent me a very strange text message and I was in the middle of cooking my deconstructed chili dogs, which involves the Kettle and Fire grass-fed chili, which is one of my favorite things. But honestly, everything is amazing. I got kind of hooked on having miso soup for breakfast, and that's part of this like Japanese kind of bento box breakfast that you can get at Mandarin Oriental and like different places. I haven't actually been to Japan in a long time, but I'm imagining you can get miso soup for breakfast there for like for reals. Um, but I love it. It's like something I talk about in my book, Bone Broth, and their miso soup is made with bone broth, which is awesome. And bone broth is really hard to make. You have to like boil the bones for like 72 hours. So Kettle and Fire does it for you. The soups are amazing. The bone broth is amazing. The flavor is amazing. They got all kinds of delicious things like their butternut squash is awesome. Their tomato soup is the best. And like you can be keto because most of these soups are pretty keto. Or you could make that shit with a grilled cheese. Like whatever your thing is, this is an awesome solution to have great food ready and available and shelf stable. So check it out. Go to kettleandfire.com. That's K-E-T-T-L-E and F-I-R-E.com slash Aubrey. And you can use the Aubrey code for 15% off your order. Plus, you get free shipping when you order six or more cartons, which you should. You should order at least six cartons of the chili alone. Like I'm telling you, like once you get into that chili mode, you're done, son. This is one of the most special and heartfelt podcasts I've ever been a part of. I've never experienced sitting down at a table with my best friends and hearing them share some of their most emotional, challenging, and triumphant stories and experiences from an entire year. And literally at times, all of us were brought to tears. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast with Caitlin Howe, Eric Godsey, and Kyle Kingsbury. Oh my God, here I am. With my favorite people <laughs> around one table. This is cool. Hi, Kyle. What's up, brother? <laughs> How you doing? This is fucking awesome. <laughs> Hi, Caitlin. Hi. <laughs> We're back. Hi, Eric. What to do, Aubrey? <laughs> You're so shiny and fresh back from ayahuasca. You yeah, have man. that little glow going. I, like I feel that. it. I like that. That's great. Well, I want to add a little structure to this because we could obviously just bullshit our way for however many endless hours we wanted to. Um, but I want to talk about kind of a little bit of a year in review. And I know there's still a little time left in the year, but. Uh, just looking back, this has been a pretty catalytic year for all of us. And so I wanted to open up the opportunity to share some of our best experiences, some of our worst experiences, some of the things we learned, um, just the lessons from a year around the sun, lived as best we could, you know, which is as best as, uh, as anybody can do, right? Like just figuring it out, 
you know, learning as much as we can. So I'd like to start with one of those hard experiences because I think it would be easy for us to talk about all the good stuff, but let's talk about the times where we were brought to our knees in some level, you know? And I think we've all had those experiences for sure. And I think everybody does. Um, so let's start there. Yeah. Eric? Yeah, man. So um, this was my first year that I have genuinely experienced depression. And so kind of my life mission that I've been repeating to myself since I took Go For Your Win has been my mission is to create the most empirically effective psychological system for treating depression and anxiety. And I had never actually experienced depression. And so God or whatever you want to call it was like, it's time, boy. And um, <clears throat> this past year, um, I said a prayer every day for probably about like six weeks. And it was, please bring into my life whatever relationship I need to face in order to become the man that could bring my children into the world. Because I know that I want to be a father. So I said that every day for like six weeks. And long story short, met someone amazing, fell the deepest in love I've ever fell and realized from that what happens when you fall too deeply in love and I can share what that means afterwards. And then it ended and it ended in a way that my ego had always feared relationships could end in a way that would cause maximum wounding. And I went through a depression. Um, the first time in my life that I didn't have hope, the first time in my life that I didn't care about my mission, the first time in my life that I didn't care about the work that I did. Um, but because of the tools that I'd gathered, like journaling and meditating and speaking honestly with friends, um, and you guys were a huge reason why this went as well as it did, but I realized what happened is um, we all can get to a point in love where we forget our true story and the story that we pick up out of fear and anxiety is, I'm not trying to become the best version of myself. I'm trying to become the version that I think my partner wants. So they want me. And no, I, no, I have no idea. What you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, explain that again. Yeah, that doesn't no. make any sense to me. I'm always being 100% myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. What I realized is um, I had found this grace point the last couple of years because I had connected to who I knew I, who I knew my future self wanted me to become. And I started to become that man. But then I found this partner that I was so in love with that the love became an attachment that was so strong that it took me out of my true story. And I started to live a false story. And when you live a false story, the world is not nice to you because your view of reality is not in coherence with the world. And uh, it fucked me up for a couple of weeks. Like, uh, I lost a tremendous amount of weight. I got no work done. Thank God you guys are so nice because I wasn't getting shit done. Your no work done is a relative <laughs> sliding scale, you know, but all right, we'll, we'll allow that to slide. Yeah. Um, and it was actually through sharing like my truth with all of you. Like I was going on so many walks with everybody here that I realized that I was in a false story. And it's like the moment that I, was aware of that i was like oh what was your false story so kind of the um structure of a story is you have the idea of who you are you have the idea of who you want to be and then you have your strategies for trying to get there 
My true story is the person I'm trying to be is my potential. And I listen to my intuition about what things to do in order to manifest that. My false story is I want to be the partner I think she wants. And so instead of listening to my intuition, I'm listening to this weird Frankenstein thing where I'm trying through my fear and anxiety to predict what she wants. So the compass is fucking broken. It's not my intuition, it's my fear being like, oh, you have to be like this, you have to be like this. And her higher self was repulsed by that story. Like that was not the story that she was originally attracted to. And it just, it put me in the spot where it was, I'm not in alignment with my true self. This false story that I'm seeking is taking me, is making her go further away. I have nothing. Um, there's a much deeper point that I realized that um, without getting into the details to protect the privacy of my mom and the partner is that I, it played out my fundamental mother wound. And I realized it on a random Saturday, more than microdosing at the office journaling. Mm -hmm. And it was like the fucking clouds parted. And I was like, oh, this is my like love wound. And like, once I became aware of that, I realized, you know, my partner can't fix that for me. I have to be that for me. Um, and like, w I just snapped out of it. And the deep lesson was, um, in order for me to have a life of meaning, I have to follow my true story. My true story is to be my, to manifest my potential and the compass is my intuition. It's not trying to be the ideal partner for someone else and then listening to fear. And that was mine. <laughs> that's really, uh, I think that's something a lot of people can resonate with and certainly I can and I was not planning on going next, but I will because mine dovetails so well with that story because I think I've been in part living false stories to a certain degree not a, necessarily a false story but just the exaggeration or the the leaning towards a certain expression of myself or in a dedication of a certain expression for myself basically to compete with everybody else who you know because i was in the relationship with whitney for a good portion of the year and i think this year has been becoming aware of how much I had dedicated my life to the competition with both phantom and real partners that she had yeah. trying to compete in this gnarly open relationship paradigm <laughs> experiment that I've been in. The arena. The, no doubt. <laughs> but this is, this is a particularly uh, visceral gladiatorial, you know, combat with multiple people. It's like more like a melee, you know, where there's tigers and it's the pinata fight. That's, it's the pinata <laughs> fight. And I was the dude with my head stuck through the fucking ropes, <laughs> taking a Kyle Kingsbury right hand hook to the ear hole <laughs> repeatedly. And, you know, I've had to do a lot of walks out here with you guys. And, and again, also, you know, tons of gratitude for that. But I think one of the things is, is I was, I was born and bred to compete in a certain way. Like I was competing from when I was really young. So the idea of competing is something that's deeply within us all. Like it's a huge part of our ego. And if you want to know about your ego, know that your ego wants to win. Like that's what the ego wants. It's the signature of the ego and it wants to win. So if you have a lover and that lover is kind of escaping or on the fringe or it has other people or something like that your ego is going to get really activated and it's going to do whatever the fuck it can to win right <laughs> yeah and i think for me <clears throat> the start of the open relationship i was kind of leading the leading the charge and and finding other lovers and kind of kind of pulling away and, and i'm sure whitney experienced you know some of that 
same reaction as well and then towards the last two years in particular the kind of uh the the table has shifted a little bit and it's been me that's been kind of reaching and kind of chasing to a certain degree to try and compete with all of the you know other people that she was seeing and also really compete with this idea Mm. of what would be the type of person that she would just be like you know what fuck everybody nobody else matters right like this mythical place which i actually didn't even want you know but like i wasn't even aware that i was really chasing so as like different levels of the relationship have kind of unraveled i've realized how much of my life was dedicated towards a subconscious competition with real and kind of mythical other kind of people you know what I mean? And then, so it's not that I wasn't being me, but I was always, always stressed that I was, you know, competing and losing a battle between, you know, these other mythical people rather than just focusing on how much I can be the best version of the truest version of me, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so as like, as the relationship releases, it's been so long that I've been in that paradigm. And I've probably always been in that paradigm to a certain degree. I think during our relationship period, I had such a level of kind of comfort from you that I didn't really have that same thing. And I was more competing against my own expectations of myself rather than like anybody else that I was hypothesizing that could be better than me. Um, But, you know, and at the same time, then certainly... We had to call in more dragons, right? <laughs> yeah. For what sure. does a hero do? Yeah. Yeah. Bigger dragons. And, and that dragons. was, and that was, uh, I don't think I've really even fully become aware of that until <clears throat> really recently. And the thing is, as Whitney's kind of, as we've released some of these bonds, then it's not only losing, not only realizing, like, wow, I was playing this fucking game where I'm competing with everybody subtly. And competing like when i'm in the gym i'm thinking about if i'm getting stronger than them and when i'm checking my bank account i'm wondering if i'm richer than them and when i'm you know posting something i wonder if i'm more influential than them and if i'm doing this like all of these things which have been somewhat productive but also like just pound compounding stress like yeah. inside my body to like a huge degree so it's realizing how much i've been doing that but then in the absence of you know the the relationship construct with whitney and like trying to release that then it's like oh wow like what am i what am i even doing does it matter like because my purpose was so driven towards that thing for so long like you had a shorter stretch you know and it was obviously gnarly Fuck in seven stretch. Years, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but i had such a long stretch that i felt those kind of like wow what am i even doing yeah like, what is what am i what is my purpose here for so it's been kind of this moment of like realizing and waking up and recalibrating being like oh wait i need to do things for me now huh and i get to and i get to do things for me now which is incredibly liberating and freeing and also not only liberates me but liberates her because what a burden to place on your partner too you know and like it's not fair under any or productive or helpful under any like any circumstance it's not good for either side no it's just the it's the signature of codependency to a certain degree right like if um if you're doing something to impress somebody else you know, you're not living your freest, most authentic For truth. Sure. And it's not that I'm not, I haven't been honest about it, but I haven't seen it. So I haven't been able to actually be authentic. I think there's a difference between authenticity and honesty. Like I've been right. very honest, but I haven't been very authentic to myself because not only maybe what I'm, what I was doing would be similar, but why I was doing it 
would have been different. It would have been like untainted by this kind of competitive paradigm and this codependent paradigm. Yeah. So now I'm coming out of that and it's like, okay, well now what do I want to do for me and for the world? Yeah. And I think when Don Howard passed, mm. that was like a real clarion call for me because he was so dedicated to service and I was dedicated to service and myself and also trying to impress Whitney. Like that was like the three, like the three heads of the Hydra. Hydra. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That were always like breathing fire. Uh, and now like stepping out of that, it can be like, okay, you know, like I'll still do things for me, I'm sure, you know, cause I'm part of the all, the good of all, but like, how can I have a much stronger purity of purpose? Yeah. And I'm just trying to figure that out now, but it's exciting. It's exciting to like imagine what the world looks like when I'm not in competition with real or imagined other people. When you have a third more extra energy. Yeah, at least, at yeah. least, at least, because yeah, I was being, yeah, because I was you because nice. you fight with the Hydra's head. That's like the that's the most pressing. Mm -hmm. You know, like the one like you can't fight all three heads at once, right? Like so, like that was the thing that was really biting and snapping and blowing fire up my ass like that it took was, more than a third of your bandwidth <laughs> yeah sure. it did, it did. There's, no, there's no question it did, it hard did. to quantify but yeah. no question and and again so like now it's now it's like okay all right now i get another opportunity for that but i'll be i'd be lying if i said i didn't miss like the, sure. i didn't miss the old way you always miss the old yeah. way yeah like i miss like i'm going in the gym now and i'm like wait wait why am i lifting again <laughs> oh because i feel good Oh yeah, that's why I'm lifting. Not yeah, because man. I'm trying to get fucking yoked, son. <laughs> well, know? I think sometimes we we think we miss something, but it's just because we don't remember what it's like not to have not right. to have it be that way, and allowing yourself to have that appreciation for the space. Otherwise, you might call it back in because if your energy goes towards longing for the old way over and over again, mm -hmm. that energy out there is listening. Might yeah. be like, all right, yeah, you're right. Here you go. Right. And that's the, that's the courage time. to leave the shores of the known. You know, I think that it's a great, I forget who said it, it might have been Paul Selig who says it's so. not that we're afraid of the unknown. Nobody's afraid of the unknown. You can't be afraid of something you don't know, but you're afraid of leaving the known. And I think there's not only this vacuum that's been created, but there's also this fear of like, oh shit, do I even know what I want to do now? You know, like, wait, why am I lifting and working and making my, oh, for, for service and for, okay, okay, okay. But it's like the whole thing is reoriented and it's different. Yeah. And those new, like that new bridge to the new way is not fully solid yet. It really is like coming out of an addiction. You're like, totally. what do I do with my like free energy in my life now? Yeah. And what do I do with, with real freedom and like autonomy of choice, you know, without these subconscious things guiding and dictating my actions. And like what blows my mind is look at what's been created with, a hydra head attack it blows you. my mind too imagine to what the next six years could look like if one of the hydra's heads were just sealed off yeah like, and how much and how much better that's going to be for whitney too to not yeah. have to bear bear that you know because she could feel that too right? right just like your girl could feel you kind of chasing for that. sure you know she could feel that energy and that's a huge burden to place on somebody which is i think why inherently people push that away they're like no 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 you know, which so like the more you get caught up in that paradigm, the more yeah. you get kind of like pushed away because it's like, yeah. no, 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 we want you to like everybody really at the soul level wants everybody to live their actual purpose, not mm. to go chasing That's their love. desires. That's love. And yeah. the soul is love. Soul always sees through the eyes of love.
And so I think from the soul communication, they're like, you know, back off this one. He's off his, you know, he's off his, off his purpose. And I see that in hindsight. Like, yeah. And you just got the short, you. you just got the shortened version. Yours was actually a little gnarlier in some aspects. All had, had the seven-year ayahuasca journey, and he took the, the five-minute five, five yeah. MEO trip. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> not to the upper level. Yeah, yeah, it's what the universe wanted. Mm-hmm. It always is. Well, speaking of addictions, I guess um, I could go next. Um, this year has been massive for me and in so many ways but to sit here with all of you right now relaxed and you know reflecting is such a gift because when I started my journey as a coach for this program I didn't realize it because I'd never really heard the term but I I kind of had imposter syndrome like I I'd been in our community our little nucleus of consciousness and self-work and we've done so many journeys together and I had um, I had a sense of you know my medicine and I I felt internally ready but when I was given the title to be a coach for this community and and start serving the medicine there was a subtle fear that kind of stepped in and um, and we went through you know months of work with the group and I found I found a stride and I felt comfortable and I felt confident and I felt um you know I felt like okay I was I was really getting into the the role of owning that I was a coach and and connecting with everyone and um then I went to Burning Man my ultimate playground and one of the (laughs) my massive ceremony lots of ceremony here um Burning Man really is a medicine and a ceremony space like no like well, not like no other, but... Um, well, it is like no other. It is like, like no other. It is genuinely like no other. <laughs> Tell me about this In terms man. of <laughs> intensity, it's it rivals anything, if not surpasses it. And um, even though, you know, it also looks like a big music festival and a big freaking party, but and I... it's all the above, actually. It's all of the above. It's all of the above. And it's where I feel most myself. Usually. So, <laughs> usually. So I... The first day. I was... I always think I feel most myself there. I love to costume and I'm really I'm really passionate and um I t- I just come alive in this whole uh liberated sense with with no inhibitions and I feel like that's really where I am the most free. And the interesting thing that I hadn't recognized as much until I went through this was that um I always kind of I've struggled with my shadow and I've struggled with addictive tendencies and we all have our own addictions some of them might be competition and some might be substances and some might be um you know not having an off switch or being self-destructive and um i battle with that there that's that's my you know if we have an ayahuasca journey it's there tends to be one really dark night and i always have a moment at Burning Man. It seems to get worse every year for some reason because the medicine's still <laughs> trying reason. to teach me something. <laughs> um, and this year was special because I was going to be camping with members of Fit for Service. And I was go- we had a special day planned where we all came together. We did a cold plunge on the playa. We, you know, dropped into meditation. We hugged. We cried. We had this beautiful experience. This was Wednesday. And I'm feeling pretty great about myself because I've got this, uh, I've got a very fulfilling path as a coach. I'm, I'm in my wonderland. I'm, I'm with my best friends. And 
then the shadow starts coming up and starts subtly steering the ship. And I ended up having um, the hardest, probably the hardest night of my life. I, uh, I overindulged <laughs> to, um, to be as vague as possible <laughs> without getting into too many messy particulars. And um, I literally, uh, I hit a point where I was, I was um, losing my conscious self and the full shadow, the full inner demon uh, was really at the helm of the ship. And it really brought me to my knees. I ended up having um, a really bad episode publicly at sunrise in front of some people that um, were in our community. And uh, and I had a violent outburst. I had a total destruction of a couple of really precious relationships to me. And um, that was devastating in and of itself just to be in a place that I love so much and to lose control and to feel like I'm 36 years old and I've done so much work. And here I am again, you know, that kind of defeat of like, wow, is this, am I ever going to be better? And when you hit that wall, you can really want to give up because it's like, how can I journey with so many medicines? How can I have the community I have? How can I love so hard and still and still be this person that I'm so ashamed to be? And coming back from that, I wasn't myself. I couldn't get my spirit back. I just felt like empty. And I felt ashamed because I recognized that when I became a coach, it was like, this internal pressure of hurry, hurry, become the person that you're supposed to be. So you deserve this. And what ended up happening was in that space, the next day after this, I was so ashamed to see people. And the very members of the community that I was so ashamed to see showed up for me like nobody else and held me when I cried. Took me to the temple, played the flute with me, played a flute with me that they gave me. I watched other people in their costumes, you know, mourning loved ones, mourning their mistakes, and looked at the circus of all of it, but all of the, all, also all of the heart that was there. And it started to bring in that kind of that recognition of how the part of me that I was ashamed to be as a leader and as a medicine woman. Um, was still very much part of me and it was okay and beautiful. And I recognized that one thing I was terrified to do was come back into my community and talk about it, but that's what we do. You, the real medicine here is the vulnerable truth and the the container to be able to share it with other people. And um, And when I came back, I had a call with our community and I talked about it. And guess what? They talked about their shit too. They received me. They loved me more. And I realized that the medicine for me was not to hurry up and become the perfect person, but to be myself entirely 
to be the shadow entirely and and to own it and that and to integrate it and to let it let it be part of my medicine and and serve it and and it just unlocks something massive for me and that was a total turning point in my journey and um and a gift you know absolutely a gift and something i'm still working with and i always will be to some degree you know most likely and if i ever overcome those you know those little shadowy demons specifically there will be new ones but now i've i've learned you know in this container what i do with it i alchemize it mm. and it um and it yeah it's uh it's been really really big so yeah thank you so much ah <laughs> <laughs> mm. <sighs> whoo only talked about that twice so that was the second time <laughs> yeah i think uh for me without a doubt the hardest challenge has been open relationship you know we started october maybe late september last year and i didn't really start it started because i had a relationship but the medicine didn't really start for me until oh i know why <laughs> <laughs> oh, know until uh until it was an even playing field you know a two-way street and when tosh uh started dating christian i think they had their first date night uh new year's eve and i was out with you and really trying to party and take my mind off it and all the heart opening medicine I could swallow and just fucking anything to keep me <laughs> okay. Which for Cracking. Kyle is a large amount of <laughs> heart opening yeah, medicine a large amount that he can swallow. He's got a really big heart, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was one thing that I really understood uh, consciously, you know, when we made the decision to start it. And um, to a, I think to a greater degree, you know, in working with uh, the ceremony we did with Paul, Dr. Dan, Tosh, and yourself, Aubrey, that's where I got the downloads to start it now and to not wait until we were older and the kids are in high school or college, but to do it now so we could start our growth right now to learn from this, to become better, and that would influence our children. Not to live that way, it's not prescriptive, right? But just to, to know love in a different way, whether they choose to be monogamous or not, ultimately to be better people for them. And... Um, Again, understanding all that consciously, I had no fucking idea what it would be like viscerally to go through that, you know. And I think Ob got a kick out of it because he, he thought he too thought I wasn't gonna. I would have had it a little easier than he did, but um, you know, it just it just boiled up, you know. And it was one of those things. I think you mentioned this Ob before that if you have a narrative that you're not a jealous person or that you behave a certain way and you identify with that narrative. You can't even look at it mm. when the jealousy comes up. It's it's unrecognizable to you because it's out of your purview. It's not in your awareness that you can behave in that way. And for me, it was like just every fear possible. And I know I've mentioned this before on, on different podcasts, but like every fear came up. How big is his dick? Is he better in bed? He's 10 years younger than me. Does she love him? She does love him. How much does she love him? Is she going to leave him for me? All the same fears that Tosh had when I had a girlfriend. And in part, that was beautiful because it, it showed me, it gave me the lens in which she saw the world for a period of time. And I had deep compassion for her. And that, to me, was the only way I could possibly understand where she was at mentally and emotionally when I had a girlfriend. And so I had gratitude for that, but it was still just unfucking bearable 
going through that and raised to a boiling point where Christian had asked if he could take Tosh to Vegas. He was doing a fun trip. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. That's, that's, you know, anytime I say yes to something like that, I always reverse the situation. Would I want to go on a date weekend with a girlfriend? Yeah. So of course you can. That's, there's no problem there. And, um, flights got canceled. There was snow or some shit. So I offered to pay for a hotel and let them have a staycation. And first day's fine. Second day's okay. By day three, I was just so on edge. I was besides myself. And I think she wrote me like, hey, is it cool? Should I come back after naps or when should I come back? And like, to me, in my mind, that was her asking for more time with him. And I just fucking lost it. It's like, you just had two and a half days and now you want more time. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. You know, I got really short with her and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And so when she got back, <laughs> totally fine. you know, it was almost hard for me to look at her and Christian. Like I was mm -hmm. that upset. And I, it was still, it was an unrecognized level of anger and pain and fear that I had. And so, you know, dipping into that shadow, we started talking. Of course, Tosh could feel, she knows who the fuck I am. So when I'm off kilter, she knows it immediately. And she's just like, what the fuck's going on? You know? And I just snapped. Bear's uh, backpack was in the center of the floor. We were arguing outside to not wake him. And I walked through the house. I kicked his backpack as hard as I could. His tea went flying everywhere on this hard, <laughs> hardwood floor. And I got in the Prius, my getaway car, <laughs> went to peel out in slow motion. That'll show Probably her. in electric vehicle mode. <laughs> to fucking get away. She comes running after me because she's a fireball, slips on the tee, almost breaks her thumb, comes running out of the house yelling at me while one of our neighbors is pushing their newborn in a stroller. Get the fuck back here. You know, it was a very low, low moment for everyone. Thankfully, I was aware, I got myself about a quarter mile away, like, I need to go back. And um, I didn't understand why I left, why that fleeing the situation had been ingrained in me until... A, like I think a night later I realized like the relationship I had for seven years prior to Tosh with a, a woman who I love very deeply in college that's what I do in fights I'd get in my car and I'd drive from Arizona to fucking NorCal in the middle of the night if shit hit the fan like that there was a pattern of that that I had never expressed with Tosh that I thought was gone and it showed up again and um you know, I ended up having a 5-MEO ceremony later that week with Tosh, which was incredibly healing because it showed me all the times. All the times my mother would leave when she got in a big fight with my dad. And so that patterning came in from that. And I really got to see, like, the pain that I felt when she left. And just from Tosh being gone, I was feeling some of that abandonment right there. And that I fought fire with fire. That was the way I would address that situation. It was incredible. I had all the awareness then. Like, oh, that's where that comes from. And um, of course, in that situation, I was able to have a lot of gratitude and compassion for my mom knowing how hard it was for her and knowing that that's all she knew she could do. Right. And for my dad as well, you know, but, uh, for me, like seeing that pattern and then uh, thankfully never having done that, but you know, the flip side to any of these jealousies and fears that I've come to know is the belief in myself. 
you know, and, and that's something I'll get into with, you know, the, the magic that's happened this year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, brother. Yeah. I hope you guys have been enjoying the podcast so far. I want to take a moment to talk about a new product that Onnit is coming out with that fills a need that we have yet to meet. And that's with a plant-based protein. We have some great whey proteins. We have some great superfoods that we've been offering for a long time. But a true plant-based protein that's complete in its amino acid profile and really meets the needs of those people who don't want to have whey all the time or maybe don't want to have whey ever. And when we came out with a plant-based protein, we always want to do it the best we possibly can. And that means no bullshit in our formula. That means no extra additives or things that we don't need and just really deliver the highest quality product we could. And one of the things that I'm really proud of with this product is that it tastes fucking amazing. So the flavors are awesome. And again, it provides everything that another protein would in that it's a complete amino acid profile and something that you can easily add to your shakes or just mix with water. I mean, it tastes really honestly that good. So check it out. I'm sure you guys will love it if this is something you're into. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey. You'll save 10% and get a chance to try out our new plant-based proteins. It's, you know, it's interesting that all of these things that we have called, you know, the lowest points of the year, I think probably we're also the most grateful for in the year, you know, like these things, even, even though my pattern lasted longer and it took me longer to kind of unravel and unwind it, like still I look back and it's like, you can only have gratitude, you know, and, and there are little moments where you're like, oh man, I, should, I wish I could have done that fucking different, but yeah. If you could have, you would have. If we yeah. could have, we would have. If you could have not driven away at all and had that recognition, then you would have. If I could have, you know, I would go through periods where I would get really angry or like hold stuff in, pretend like I was cool and working through it and then I wasn't cool and then all of these different ways. And you can lament those, but I'm sure you could lament not, you know, letting things get to that boiling totally. point and not doing I that. I constantly thought like, oh, what if I just did this? Just not there, just not that far. But then you might not have learned you know it all happens as it has to happen in yeah. a way and if it could have happened differently it would have happened differently and that's mm -hmm. the that's i think the uh, fundamental understanding to get to forgiveness and then once you get to forgiveness then you can get to the alchemy of like okay well this happened as it needed to happen what am i going to do now what's the medicine mm -hmm. yeah what's the next best move from here and it'll all take its own time yeah you know there's no like right amount of time or like the right way that this has to go but i think the key thing is one being vulnerable like being willing to admit and acknowledge when shit's your fault yeah you know and like when it's your shit because it's always at least some component some of your shit you. some it's yeah. always your shit so like an opening up and having people you can talk to about that which was huge for me like yeah. truly i think the reason it happened as quickly like why the alchemy came as fast as it did is i knew i could talk to all of you in truth mm -hmm. you know and like it's incredible that we get to call this a job <laughs> it's fucking incredible yeah yeah i'm, I'm with that i'm with that 100 percent. and then as you pattern that ability to not be ashamed then you can really start to move faster. Yeah, You can't integrate something that you don't share. It's too easy for you to keep it fragmented. You know, if, you, if that's one thing about the mirror that we talk about in other people is like, when you have people that are expecting your authentic truth, you can't really look at them and give them just part of it. 
I've found. Especially if they see you. Like if they see mm -hmm. you, they know. They like know. you're hiding right now. You all know yeah. me when I show up and I've got something kind of boiling. But it, when you're in a vacuum, when you're by yourself and you don't have that community, it's too easy to look away. Mm -hmm. And then the lessons just keep teaching you and they get louder and harder. Yeah, I'm I agree I with you. I agree with you, but I also I also recognize how how squirrely I am in in the way that I can trick myself too, though, you know, like I spoke to all you guys and always got, you know, support and good ideas and help with my own introspection, but like without me actually seeing the deeper the deeper broader patterns, like I couldn't have seen what how your specific issue played into how your mother reacted and like all of these different things. I couldn't, you could present the information in a way that was honest to you based on the awareness that you had, but mm. to mm. penetrate deeper, like we're the only ones that can really penetrate to the deepest truth see what you're saying. of like what it really, what sure. it really, really is. And, um, and that's, I think something that I've really realized mm. too, is that even in sharing, we can still hide hide some truth from ourselves for sure so it's like honing our own ability to be like ruthless with our introspection and awareness and ruthless with our truth and our vulnerability about what happened and just do our damn best yeah to like find out like where did this come from why am i feeling this what am i doing what's the truth of this yeah you gotta hunt that stuff you gotta hunt it you know you can't just passively say well that was shitty i forgive myself i forgive yeah. everyone else my favorite quote there. from don miguel ruiz he says the warrior is the huntress who hunts herself mm. and that mm -hmm. is something i use as a guiding star it doesn't always work but i i try to keep that in mind at all times i have it painted on my wall <laughs> I love that. well you have to and hunting is a skill right like hunting is like you're not born a great hunter no one was born a great hunter they became a great hunter yeah. through practice, whether it's archery and it's just how many arrows do you put through that target? Like, or if it's shooting a rifle, whatever, whatever it is in that metaphor. But when we're hunting ourselves, it's our, how aware can we be? You know, like how much can we understand our own psychology and understand our own makeup so that we can actually like look deeper, deeper, deeper. And we might get an inkling, but we might be like, ah, eh, we might cast that hypothesis aside. Like, well, it could be that, but I doubt it's that. Yeah. You know, it's just this fucking thing, mm -hmm. you know, this thing that I'm comfortable hunting. I'm hunting rabbits, not rhinoceroses here. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, don't talk to me about rhinoceroses. Like, we're talking rabbits here. This is a yeah. rabbit hunt, you know? Well, in a way, you can only really hunt yourself because if you turn the, you can take every arrow you're pointing at somebody else and saying, this person's doing this to me. This is what I'm feeling because of X, Y, and Z. And if you take all of those potential sources of your struggles and you just turn it inward and ask, the inner knowing, like, where am I doing this? I mean, every time you're pointing your arrow at someone else, it's an opportunity to point it back at yourself and, yeah, and check if in. You, if you point it at someone else, you make yourself yourself prey. Like you're Ooh. just giving away your power to be a hunter and you just become the rabbit, you know? That's the that's where the metaphor flips, right? <laughs> like, cause actually when you're hunting yourself at the moment that you're actually aiming at yourself, you're the prey, you know? And like, you have to be, that's where you have to go like oh wow this is what i'm doing i'm like projecting all of this onto somebody else when really it's actually now me exposing my own my own vulnerabilities in here yeah. which is actually the strongest of. position to be in it's the only only way to it's a way to be strongest and the way to get stronger too it may feel weaker in a little while because that anger can give us a little buttress and give you like a little 
little platform to stay on. You can just Ooh, be like the anger separate. feels so strong. It's it's so I'm so right strong. platform. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm right I'm platform. I'm way up here, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think everybody who has these low points, you know, these low moments, whether, and whether the, the output of that is anger or depression or anxiety, or, you know, for me, it was all of the above, but, you know, it can be, it can come out in certain little bursts. Sometimes the anger will come first and comes the depression and anxiety. Sometimes the depression just hits, the hopelessness hits. Sometimes the anxiety and tension will lead and it'll just be this constant state until something bursts. And like helps you break through it's like almost like plates are shifting and sometimes the plates move smoothly and just gradually there's continental drift you know like antarctica moved an mm. inch this year and sometimes yeah. it's like fucking san andreas and there's buildings falling and there's like fucking godzilla's screaming and mothra's attacking and you're like fuck how did this go armageddon so fast you know what i mean yeah and like but that's just the way it was the plates were stuck and when they're stuck you know, then when they shift, it's not just a shift, it's an earthquake. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, that's like, really, yeah. And having the grace to be like, okay, well, I wasn't drifting with the continents. I was, the, I was stuck. And then, so when I stuck, shifted. And hopefully you have some skills in how you navigate when that happens. Like during the an earthquake. Yeah, do you panic? And- yeah, do you, do you panic and start punching people around you? Or you get your center. Pinata yeah. fight. No. Yeah, <laughs> Or, but, or do you understand like okay here comes the anger here comes that what the buddhist like called riding a shempa, away right yeah. yeah like that hook i'm hooked you know the earthquake is here and i'm hooked like what am i going to do i can either exacerbate this or i can try and diminish it but sometimes that option is available and sometimes it's just not yeah. fucking available you know but yeah, sometimes you gotta get tossed in the waves and yeah and sometimes i think we i think sometimes <laughs> i think we actually throw a stick of dynamite to actually change 100%. things because we don't trust ourselves like we don't trust ourselves to allow this to gradually move in a way because we're addicted you know so if you're addicted you kind of drive yourself into a rock bottom mm-hmm. or drive yourself into like a, a chaotic situation that you're going to have to deal with yeah like and that was part no that's option. part of the grace too when you see yourself hitting a point like i did the point that felt like a catastrophe just knowing that i called this in because it was moving too slow i threw the stick of dynamite this didn't get thrown at me you know, and then you get your power back and you can recognize like, okay, there's something in me that wants something better, that wants something, that wants change in a in a good way and not from a place of shame or self-rejection, but just knowing that it's time. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the highlights of the year then. <laughs> let's talk about our favorite moments or the moments of the year that, that, uh, that, that we love the most. Yeah, um, <clears throat> mine came at the third Fit for Service meetup in Sedona. Um, <clears throat> there was a particular moment where there was a sharing circle for one of the workshops. And it, it had been such a beautiful weekend up to that point, like nothing I'd ever experienced. I was very sober and I did not feel like I was sober because of the love and the vulnerability and the trust that 140 people had for each other. I'd never witnessed that in my entire life. And it was the third day and somebody shared something that they had never shared before, except once with a therapist. And it's the type of thing that our culture is conditioned. If this is your truth, you are not lovable. Like you are condemnable. And he shared it and, 
I've never witnessed something like that. And um, like you could tell that some people were really shaken and they were really trying to not um, react to him the way that our culture conditions people to react. <clears throat> and you also saw people not even flinching. And I just, I started weeping and I'm one of the coaches and I was at this thing just weeping. Like to the, like I couldn't look at anyone. I was just in my lap crying. And um, they thought that I was crying because like I was negatively affected by what he said, but it was the opposite. I was, I was just so grateful and I had so much love for the fact that we somehow put together a container that allowed for this type of experience to happen. And like, I think he went through a level of healing then that he may have never have gotten in his entire life. And really all the ingredient was is a group of people that loved and trusted each other. And it was so heavy that I had to leave. And I, I went on a walk around the parking lot and just found an empty bench and just sat there and breathed. Like I had never been so overwhelmed by gratitude where I felt like I couldn't function. Um, <clears throat> and the thing that I realized while Kyle was talking where he had that insight that um, that pattern that he saw about why he left was because of his mom is the thing that I realized is, uh, you know, I shared what my mission was at the beginning of the podcast. And it's because as a kid, I saw that my mom was depressed and I wasn't able to help. And I thought it was my fault. And um, I really feel like I'm witnessing in this group, like we're doing the thing that I wish I could have done for my mom when I was five and I wasn't able to. Uh, so that was the highlight. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's a pretty amazing thing when you see someone share the unforgivable and then watch ordinary people with all our flaws and all our judgments forgive the unforgivable. And when we forgive the unforgivable, we realize that there's nothing that's unforgivable and there's nobody that's so forsaken that they're unworthy of the love of the divine, of course. And we can hypothesize the divine being so much better than we are. And we're here, little ants on the earth. And then there's that big God in heaven that's capable of this thing. But we watched people who are ourselves and other ordinary people be godly, be divine in their forgiveness, in their love that holds no record of wrong, right? Like, and that changes the whole paradigm because then there's nothing that we do that's unforgivable. There's nothing that anybody does that's unforgivable. We have access to like a different level of expression and permission for a different level of expression. And that changes everything, you know? And, and there are some people who are really struggling with it and wanting punishment and wanting these other things for... <laughs> for anything that would come and you could feel those feelings even you know feel the, hear those voices like oh my god this is the unforgivable but what's better than that what's going to actually cause the healing that's actually going to stop that exactly. from going down through the generations it's exactly. going to be it's not condemnation condemnation nope that's just going to impact it it's going to build more shame around it it's going to allow that subconscious force to then drive that action even further but like love and forgiveness is what's going to allow that to heal. Amen. And it did. You know, we got to witness it. That was pretty fucking special. And it wasn't just that one big thing. We saw lots of little things from lots of different people. We all shared our own things and, and we watched people forgiving 
all manner of different things. Like I'm sure so many people have listened to all of us share our own, you know, stuff that's come up and all these things that we've vulnerably shared and just poured love. You know, people who don't even know us or people who do know us or whatever, you know. This community has become the driving supportive container of my in my life. Like I get so they're in my corner. They're they're constantly pouring love onto everything that I share and it just helps me open up more and more and more. And it's reciprocatory and it's powerful. It's like sunlight to a flower. Yeah. Mm. All right, highlights. Kyle, Caitlin. Um, I can go with my highlight. I there's so many. You know, it's been wavy year, highs and lows, but man, I've had I've had a lot of highs in this journey. Um I think to pinpoint probably the top one was our second summit we went to Tulum. And I think the reason this was this was such a powerful experience reflecting because at the beginning of the year, you know, it had that kind of vibe like, oh, it's a retreat and it's a bunch of different strangers from all corners of the world and it was cool to network and, you know, there was that energy about it. Um, but by the time we got to Tulum, something really special had happened and it wasn't evident to me until we got there and we're on the beach and the salty air and everybody's, you know, hugging and we're... Um, sweating together and you know we're all staying nearby and and sharing space in this really communal way and you start to know everyone by name and um, we did this beautiful Mayan clay ceremony on the beach on one of the last days and everyone takes off their tops and we're rubbing clay on each other and it's like oh you start to connect with the real person I mean, and I don't mean just because everyone's topless. <laughs> as feeling as that sounds. That was my idea. <laughs> but it was like we're rubbing clay on each other's faces and we're looking in each other's eyes. And the barrier of coach to member or, you know, stranger to whoever um, just got obliterated. And everybody's really making contact in this way that was so deep and so powerful. And I had this moment of like, whoa. This is way bigger than I thought it was going to be. This is powerful in a way that I thought it that I never expected and it's medicine for me. You know, I just was I was trying to do my job up until then and then all of a sudden I was like, I'm I'm experiencing healing. I'm making new friends. I'm being held by other people and seen by other people and asked the right questions and learning moment to moment. And it was such a high, like being, I mean, wasn't Tulum like magic? And it ma Tulum is magic, but Tulum wasn't the magic sauce there that day. It was, it was the, the shift in the winds from, uh, into something that I don't think anybody expected. And we all stood on the, on the beach shoulder to shoulder, like a, like a, you know, like a bunch of warriors. Like we were all on the, fighting the same fight. And we ran into the ocean and said our prayers. We did our despacho, which Kyle led, and threw away old parts of ourselves. And we emerged from the water as, as one community, one entity. And um, and it never it never went back to anything different. It only got stronger. And I feel like that for that turning point that it was, it was something that I'll never forget. Yeah. Same. Hell yeah, I felt it too. <laughs> I think for me. Um, Without question, 
it's it was the turning point of open becoming the positive experience that I hoped it could be that I recognized mm-hmm. it consciously you know but um you know again I, I went through that five amio ceremony and and started to unpack and at least be aware of where this stuff came from but as I dug deeper I started to realize like the flip side to the coin of fear is love and the flip side of the coin of fear and anxiety and stress and all those things that was outward was my own inward perspective of myself you know and, and I thought back reading Ted Decker's 49th Mystic and Rise of the Mystics were incredibly powerful but I didn't quite grasp uh, to the degree what those messages are and I certainly want to revisit it again because of that but for me it's been realizing that for a long time I didn't believe in myself you know and that that truly was the precipice for the fear of Tosh leaving me the fear of him being better than me at anything and not just fully recognizing that the only way I'm the best version of myself is by being the best version of myself and believing in myself. And when I don't believe in myself, not only does that affect my relationship with Tosh, like we talked about that repulsiveness of living a lie. It's also repulsive when you're clingy and you're like, no, don't leave me. Please don't go. It's like, get the fuck away from me. That's not attractive. Believe in yourself. Fuck's wrong with you. Yep. You know, where's, where's this confident, ambitious dude that I'm Terrible but at? true. You know, yeah. There's a guy so that true. I married. And, um, and uh, you know, and that also affected my relationship with Christian. You know, because I was only letting him in partially out of fear that if I let him in fully, not just into the house, but, you know, in his relationship with Tosh, but also with me personally, you know, to let him in fully, to love him fully, to get to know him fully, I couldn't have fear around what that meant, right? And the only way I could resolve the fear around what that meant was to believe in myself, was to recognize all of my gifts and to truly embody that. Mm. And it's taken all fucking year to get there but i've never been in a better place in a relationship with tosh um christian is my homie he's my brother you know and and it's improved just every aspect of family it's improved the way i look at myself when i want to design a new program or start a new venture with work like there's it just silences the monkey mind the negative oh you can't do that or yeah, but what if it doesn't work? Like, who the fuck cares if it doesn't work? This still doesn't mean not to do it, right? And there's so many opportunities that I've had throughout life where that fear won and I didn't step up to bat, you know, or even in fighting, you know, and it, again, I'm not using this as a, an excuse for losses, but I had a vision in ayahuasca um, after retiring and I said, what's the difference between knowing I was never going to fight again? What was the difference between me and my fights and the, and the champions, the best, you know, the Anderson Silva's, the George St. Pierre's. And what it showed me was that they still had all the nerves I did, but they had an unwavering belief in themselves. And it didn't matter if the guy they were going against, you know, when Chael Sonnen's a better wrestler, Anderson Silva didn't give a fuck that he was a better wrestler. He had an unwavering belief in himself that carried all the way till the end of round four when he submitted him after getting his ass kicked for almost 25 minutes, right? So I think recognizing that in myself has been for sure the most powerful thing because, you know, for 37 years, I didn't have that. It would come and go. 
you know, when life was going good and things were on the up and up, it was easy to be like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm doing great. You know, but it was dependent upon external, the external. It was dependent upon life situations for me to have that belief rather than the unwavering belief that I'm starting to have now where I really, it just, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and I've, and I've applied that to so many things, you know, we're, we're moving into our first home in two days and we've had a lot of help, you know, and I'm very, I'm just blown away with gratitude, but it has gone. It's as anybody's bought a home, it's very fucking challenging. You got a lot of shit to do. And I didn't know that I'd get it. And so I, I really just unattached to that and surrendered to it because I believed in myself. And I thought of, you know, what's the worst circumstance? We live in this house that we're in right now and we rent another year. So fucking what? It's awesome. You know, like any circumstance, if you, if you can apply that, what's the worst thing that happens here and to come to terms with it, you realize like it's all okay. You know, and that's been the work for me in the huge lifting point is that I, it, I, it just seeds into everything that I do now in every interaction that I have. If, when that belief's there, uh, the magic's there because I can show up as my best self. I can show up in love and I can be the person that I want to be. I can be, you know, whatever, uh, that goal is the future self. I know that's a key ingredient. It's not the end product, but it's the foundational piece that all is built on. And I got that now. Yeah. What a liberation from that trap of conditional love based upon external circumstances and like your accomplishments because that thing is always a moving target and it will always move a little bit farther away from you so you can continue to validate yourself through some means, right? And to be liberated from that paradigm where you just recognize that you are enough as you are. It's not conditional upon whether you get the house or don't get the house, win the fight or don't win the fight. Your love for yourself is not going to waver depending on these external things. Like if anybody can get to that, well, then they've found one of the big keys to a life of joy, really. You know, but if you're chasing that other, if you're chasing all those other things to figure out why you are worthy of love, you're trapped. And it never ends. Never ends. You win the fucking Olympics and become more depressed than any other point. It's like, what are you going to do? You know? Doesn't matter. You have to win it again or win another thing or like do it in a different way. And, and I think that's a really deep lesson and what a, what a blessing that you've been able to like really find something to help you alchemize that. And that's, you know, why these open relationships can be absolutely hellish, but they also are undeniably valuable because they'll force you to, grapple with some of these bigger things like as you said is anything you learn specifically you can apply universally and maybe you learn something specifically in the relationship construct but then you can apply it universally and that's where it becomes like really magical it's like yeah it may not it may not be a fun ride it may not end up working long term but it's going to work as far as alchemizing and transforming you probably mm-hmm. you know in some way you're going to figure out what parts of your shadow you aren't looking at what parts of you love yourself conditionally and what parts of you need to be shifted if the intentions there right if the intention a lot there. of people talk about like the 60 percent marriages monogamous and in failure right and, and that's a good stat if you want to say like well maybe you can look to a different direction but you know Tim Ferriss, I think, said he's every polyamorous relationship or open relationship couple he's ever met ended in failure, right? But how many people are going after it? I think that was Dr. It? Drew. Oh, Dr. <laughs> Drew. It's like how many, Maybe Tim too, how many people are 
using it with the intention to grow? How many people are using it through the lens of this is going to be challenging, but I can do it, you know, and, and under no circumstances do we stop our relationship, right? Even if open relationship stops, we don't stop working on ourselves and we don't stop working together. And I think that commitment to Tosh, both of us having that commitment for one another has made us so much stronger in knowing that. And we don't know that we'll do this for the rest of our lives. It's fucking perfect right now, you know, and obviously we, you know, <laughs> add in some other curveballs that could make things shaky again. But I feel like at this stage, um, it's, it's proven to be one of the greatest teachers I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into that. Um, <clears throat> all right. So for me, I think this year, the overall theme has been recognizing, you know, who I am and a purity of purpose because my purpose is deeply entrenched in the idea of who I am, right? Like we are beings that have, you know, that are purpose-driven beings. And I think for me, when my purpose was, you know, partly that call to service, which I have always felt, you know, the call to shift the world in a positive way. And I felt that from early on, I didn't know what it was, you know, but I felt like, okay, I'm here to do something important. Um, but as that was kind of muddled in my, you know, competitive addictions, my desire to win, you know, my ego coming online and desire to win, um, and kind of losing that essence of myself of like what I was really here for and what really my purpose was. I think there was a really clarifying moment for me, which was um, when we were facilitating the shamanic breath work together. And, um, you know, Anahata invited us to facilitate because we had a big group at the Fit for Service Summit. And there was like 50 people who were going through, for anybody who's done the shamanic breath work, it's incredibly powerful, incredibly cathartic, incredibly like vulnerable and opening. Um, and I've always seen myself as kind of like a more of like a passive advice giving healer you know, to a certain degree, even if I'm holding space in ceremony, the medicine's doing the work, I'm just kind of like holding my center, you know, and in, uh, <clears throat> in any other thing, a podcast or any other advice I give or anything like, I'm just like kind of throwing some words out there and maybe a good hug and maybe some like compassion or something else. <laughs> but like, it's like very limited, um, in my understanding of how I could actually, you know, be a healer, like be someone who really helps people. And so we started the facilitation of the breath work and um, it's a invitation there. And you, you ask everybody, you cool with people as part of the Stan Groff kind of uh, holotropic breath work, like touch is a part of the breath work. So you ask people, everybody cool with actual touch. And this is just gonna be like loving, nurturing touch during this breath work practice. Um, everybody's like, yeah, cool with it. Um, kind of like in yoga when everybody asks, like, you cool with adjustments, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so everybody's on board and we start and people are like opening up and, and cracking open. And I start getting messages about what I should do. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of dudes and a lot of different people. And I'd get a message like, okay, now go lay your head on that dude's chest. And I'd be like, new, no. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not going to oh. do that, you know? And so for the first half an hour, like of the, of the thing, I was like, man, I keep getting these messages about what I should do. But I'm like, I'm like, nope, that's wow. weird. That's awkward. I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? And like, it doesn't matter, guy, girl. No, I was like uncomfortable with it. 
And then finally I was like, I was like realizing, and I think Anahata like kind of poked me a little bit mm. like, come on, get in there. And I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to listen to what my knowing says and like, listen and get out of the way, get out of my own judgments about what's awkward or what's not awkward and whatever it is, I'm just going to do it. And something switched like halfway through that first thing. And whatever the message was, if it was like, go over and put my head on some dude's chest or go over and like lay down and like lie with somebody. And like whatever I was saying, I was no longer thinking about it anymore. So I collapsed my own internal watcher that was saying like, you should or you shouldn't do this. What's the strategy here? What's you, what are you trying to do? And just went and directly like started listening to my knowing. So it just shifted me into a whole other paradigm of, okay, I'm just going to listen and do what, do what I'm hearing the message to do. And it was radical, the difference, like how much I was able to help facilitate people's healing in that process was, I mean, you couldn't even compare the first half hour to the second half hour and the effectiveness of what I was you know, able to offer. So that was in and of itself, like the first paradigm shift of like, oh, trust that little voice that tells you what to do and get your mind, little monkey mind out of the way, like get that thing out of the way and just trust your knowing you know, collapse the thinking out of, just pull the thinking out of there. If you're serving, if you're serving people, like you don't need to be thinking about it. You don't need to be judging about it. You just need to listen, like listen to that whisper that, you know, comes in and just says like, okay, this is what we do. And, um, so the second I kind of learned the lesson and then for the full second round, you know, I was just going right in, like right from the start, like didn't matter, you know, and whatever, whatever the message was, I was going in there and doing it. And, uh, it was incredibly powerful. And I know that, you know, when you watch like the real pros like Anahata and some of the other pros they had there, like they will go do this similar things that I was doing. Um, and if someone's like crying and opening up and like sobbing, and we had so many people who hadn't released like these deep emotions and like let their heart like wide open, uh, they would just kind of move on from one to the other and those emotions would pass through. I'd leave every person that was like that and I'd be sobbing too. And I'd be like wiping tears like, okay, where do I go now? What do I do next? You know, like I don't have the thing where I can't feel what other people feel yet, you know? So obviously That's there's levels. Thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's effective. It's it's kind of exhausting, but it was, it was effective and it, it was beautiful in a way because it allowed me to kind of really be with them you know mirror neurons were all firing what they were going through what they were feeling like i was feeling and i think that's a special part of of being in a community but you know fortunately i'm not a full-time healer so i don't have to like do that every day that would be a lot <laughs> um but anyways finishing through that so not only did it teach me to trust my knowing but then it gave me a new appreciation of myself which was oh i'm not just i'm not just a guy with words like I can actually like get in there and like help people and like hugs and like saying the right thing and, and doing, doing whatever nurturing thing with like the whole presence of my whole body, like could be medicine, you know? And so that was like a, this whole other, almost like if to use the business term, like a whole other vertical of healing that I realized like, oh, wow, this is possible. And with that, you know, I think I kind of had a new understanding of myself that kind of buoyed my spirits and clarified my purpose even more like, oh, okay, so I'm here to be of service full stop. It's not like I'm here to be of service with words. I'm, I'm here to be of service however that is, like by whatever, by whatever means that I have available to me at any given moment, by listening to my knowing, I can be of service full stop. And then that that really changed everything. And it's not that I haven't like 
forgotten about that sometimes and like doubted that or, but yeah. but i i felt it so viscerally then that i'll never fully forget it yeah and it's like mm-hmm. some of the lessons that we'll get in these medicine journeys will be like ah i know what love and god feels like and then you're like what wait what does that feel like you know <laughs> it was i still you know have those moments of doubt but it's so clear that you can always call back and remember like oh yeah and strengthen it yeah and, and no doubt no doubt and so I think to me that was that was the real highlight and as I look forward I know that was one of those kind of pivotal moments that I'll never forget and um you know as I try and you know have this clarity and and purity of purpose you know which one of the reasons why I declared the celibacy here at the end of the year you know is because I know that that was an area that was out of alignment and that had strands that I wasn't tugging on you know it was like there was a little blanket there was an escape into sexuality and validation through sexuality and all of these different things that had threads that were like glowing they were like had highlighters and arrows and like everything like pull me pull me see what happens see what this is like see what this fishing line is hooked to and I've already started to feel some of these boulders start to move around inside me as I've like let let my sexuality go and be like okay oh wow wow there's all kinds of things that are underneath Mm -hmm. there that i'm kind of uncovering so yeah but that moment of um that moment was probably uh probably the biggest one for me in the year it's a big one it's a big one (laughs) so some of you who might be listening to this podcast maybe you're listening while you're on the toilet and if you're listening on the toilet you're going to have all kinds of distractions when it comes to wiping your ass during this podcast unless you have tushy and tushy is a bidet that you can add to your toilet seat so some of us have experienced the fancy toilets that are super expensive that you have to buy and install with a plumber but this is something that you can actually set up yourself and it's going to save you a ton of time you've probably heard me talk about this in other podcasts just organically because it's one of my absolute favorite products not only is it better for the environment you're saving on all that paper it's also just something that saves a ton of time and makes you feel clean and fresh it's the it's the better way to clean your asshole after going to the bathroom like there's just no doubt about it it's one of the products that has significantly improved my life and for 79 dollars and something that you can use every single day you're at home this is really a no-brainer for me so go to hellotushy.com aubrey and you'll get 10 percent off of your order so once again go to hellotushy.com and get 10 percent off your order and welcome yourself to the new oasis that is your bathroom all right, we're going to go one more round here. And uh, we're all, um, you know, psychedelic medicine kind of journeymen and women. Um, and I know we've all had some big journeys this year. Uh, so, and, and Godzi just got back from his ayahuasca down in Costa Rica. So I wanted to give us a chance to talk about our most transformative uh, or remarkable journey that we've had this year. Who's up? God's fresh. All right. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to tell the entire story because it, it would take hours. Um, so I was thinking about what would be the most digestible with the time that we have. Um, I went and I did ayahuasca. I have never done ayahuasca before. Uh, it has completely changed my life in a way that I don't think I'll ever be able to articulate. It's just going to be a thing that's going to be felt by people you know who know me. Um, I really felt like 
Okay, so I'll share the most remarkable and then the thing that I think is the most transformative. The most remarkable thing is on the second night, I drank two cups and it felt like I experienced something that the only word for is God. Um, and the thing that I realized is when I was seven years old, um, somebody told me what heaven was. And they told me that heaven is the place that you go when you live rightly and you're there forever and you're happy. And they thought this was just, you know, like this is supposed to make this kid feel good. <clears throat> For the next couple of weeks, I would cry at night thinking about what eternity meant. And I would be like, okay, so if I do everything right, I have to go somewhere forever and I never get to go to sleep. I never get to stop. <laughs> And I would cry and it was like, it, it, was the deepest, it was the deepest fear of my childhood. And I would pray to God, to the thing that was condemning me to this fate, to please help me forget so I could go to sleep and just kind of fade away. And um, that fear I now recognize manifested as my adamant atheism as a teenager. Like I wanted to argue with every motherfucker that said that God was real because I thought I was smart. Really, I was a terrified seven-year-old of this idea of eternity. Last year, we went down to Peru and we snorted Vilca, which is, you know, 5-MeO-DMT and NN-DMT and Bufotenine. And Vilca took me to a place that was eternity. And I was so sick and it was so overwhelming that it felt like I got destroyed and I didn't bring anything back. On the second night of ayahuasca, um, I asked her, my intention for the night was, what is the nature of the human psyche? And um, after I drank two cups, I kind of felt that she was there. I just kind of knew. And so I asked. And she said, what makes you think it's human? And then I said, um, okay, so what is the psyche? And she said, the totality of possible experiences. I was like, okay. What, is there a difference between the human psyche and ayahuasca psyche? And she said, same in totality, different in particular. And then I said, can you teach me something about the psyche that I don't know? And she said, what I can teach you, I can't tell you, but I can show you. And then that's, I instantly, blast off is not the right word. It felt like I melted into like the core of the universe and experienced infinity. And it was not a good feeling. It did not feel good to the ego. It felt like words can't, but um, I just heard myself like just repeating love, 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 like in the face of the truth of this thing that felt like eternity and infinity and always and forever and nothing. I was just saying love, love, love. And it felt like I passed through that experience for the first time in my life. It felt like my spirituality got stuck when I was seven. Like I hit this point that I couldn't pass through. And when we did Vilka, it's like it slammed me up against that gate and I couldn't pass through it. And then I did ayahuasca and it felt like I passed through it. And then I had the most blissful, beautiful fucking experience ever. So that was the most remarkable thing, quote unquote. I'd say, you know, what, what's interesting is like people can hypothesize that this is just your brain talking to you, but like when you hear wisdom, that's that deep, 
right and it's and so it was, contrary and so contrary yeah. to like what you to what whole, i believe what, what you guys believe. programmed your whole right? life it yeah. just it just makes you wonder like all right you know if this is my own brain talking to me at least there's a part of my brain that is so much fucking smarter than me you know and that's just the overwhelming thing that you get from the, from yeah. the plant medicines is like it could be me but if it is me then it's me with a capital m and this yeah. is a greater me than i've ever had access to so it doesn't even fucking matter because that's different than the me that i know lowercase m eric or lowercase a aubrey yeah you know this is the this is the uppercase version that's or it actually is the spirit of ayahuasca right. talking to you and, and either way it's a different entity that yeah. you're dealing with you're either dealing with something that's so far removed from what your normal capability of reason and understanding is or you're actually dealing with something else either way doesn't matter yeah and the thing that i would offer those people is run the experiment mm. <laughs> yeah. run the experiment <laughs> so and i think the most transformative thing is on night three um i didn't have any insane visuals like any hallucinations where i was out of the room but the medicine was very strong and um i felt i had this experience for the entire night where um, whenever something energetically heavy happened in the room, it felt like the energy would like smash into like my energetic space. And I could feel the like rumblings of having to vomit or having to shit. And it, I had this deep knowing of if I just get still and I breathe almost like a baby, really like super still, my body just absorbed it like it was energy. And I had this knowing of, I'm not going to perch the entire time I'm here because I know what to do with the energy. And it's just to not react to it at all. And it's like the body absorbs it. And then I started to feel guilt. Like my ego started to feel guilt because everyone around me is just turning their insides out. And then it felt like I heard ayahuasca again. And she said, it's okay that you just get it. And then I started crying. And she said it like two or three more times. It's okay that you just get it. And my entire life, uh, I've been carrying this backpack of guilt because I could feel as a child, um, through my entire childhood, this resentment from people in my family that I loved. And um, it was because life seemed to be effortlessly easy for me compared to the life that they had. And um, Ayahuasca just said it three times and it's like that backpack was just fucking put down. And then like after that happened, after I had that download, the person next to me um, in the Maloka, there were 26 of us, uh, he had like the most intense night of anyone in the room and he just started weeping and weeping and he reminded me so much of my brother. And it felt like my task from ayahuasca was like, I've shown you, now do it. Like just sit here and be like a diffusion pillar. Really, I felt like a tree. I felt like I turned into a tree and my roots were going into the ground and I was just trying to give him as much support and shelter as I possibly could. And there was this moment where he started like hyperventilating, he could barely breathe. And I felt, it felt like ayahuasca like pulled my arm up and it felt like my lung like became his lung so he could breathe. And I just uh, sat there for three hours and the guilt feels like it's gone. 
Like it took whatever this thing is to say a sentence three times. And it feels like this energetic backpack that I've had on for 25 years is gone. <laughs> wow. Fuck yeah. Wow. No small thing. Wow. I really enjoy ayahuasca. <laughs> <laughs> no small thing. We might lose him to ayahuasca. <laughs> wow. Gates, Kyle. All right, I'll go. I um, I also had the pleasure this year of doing ayahuasca at Soltara, so shout out to them for yeah. an amazing program. But I also had the pleasure of self-destructing at Burning Man and hitting a wall that forced me into um, a place where I felt like I didn't know what else to do to heal. And I got a message in 2015 on a hike with Anahata that one day I needed to do a ceremonial plant dieta with the cactus nopal. And I didn't know when that would be. And exhausted of options and ideas for fixing myself, um, after Burning Man, I recognized fairly quickly that this was the time. So after our Sedona retreat for FFS, I went into a ceremonial dieta at the ranch. And the dieta is, uh, for those who don't know about it, Aubrey's done one with Rose. It's um, isolation, and you call in the plant spirit to teach you its wisdom and to embody to embody that plant spirit and to keep it with you for the rest of your life. And the reason Nopal ap appealed to me was because I tend to be pretty soft and receptive and fluid. I'm a yes person. And very obviously it has spines. So I wanted to cultivate the energy of having the discernment that and the strength that spines implies. And um, I wanted it to teach me that wisdom. And that so going into the medicine journey, I had this, my initial approach was every day I, I consumed the plant. I went out and harvested um, some pads, which is a lot harder than I expected. Um, they're very, there's lots of tiny, tiny little hair-like thorns. I harvested prickly pear. I juiced that. I failed at grilling, at cooking it a little bit, but I managed. I got, I got it into a flow. I consumed beverages and teas with it. Um, I spoke to it. I wrote it poetry in the mornings. And the obvious thing seemed like it's, it's a desert plant, right? It's in the sun all day and it's super hardy and it, it subsists off very little. So you want a very pure diet. I got rid of um, meat and uh, dairy and within some time got rid of coffee, but it took me a few days. Um, and I would sit out in the sun naked and I would um, take my food and put it in the light and run my fingers through it and take the slime of Nopal and paint my face with it. And let and it felt like a light diet, like I was, you know, kind of like a balance to my shadow, which I think there's something really too. It was one of my takeaways is um, the shadow is going to be there, but you can feed, you can energetically feed yourself light in a lot of different ways. It's not always, you know, philosophy and um, and creativity or whatever. You can, I mean, <laughs> we, I think we take for granted the elemental um, impact of of the resources that we have around ourselves. So that was that was obvious, and that was um, the first stretch but then the other one thing I learned through it was and Aubrey helped me realize this because he helped me up in ceremony so did Kyle and Mr. Ryan Giles back there and uh, 
And Aubrey pointed out the polarity of boundary, which is the spine and surrender. And what I would learn through rapidly, every day had many things to teach me, but the, the plant had many, many properties, not only boundary, but um, you know, fear. There's an element of fear in, in spines. Like I've got to, I've got to protect myself. And what's and the and the every lesson, the polarity, you have to learn with it. You can't really just pick one and not learn about the other. There's it's it's inherent. And um, you know, I approached the plant on my first harvest, and I said to it, "You don't need to be afraid of me." And I recognize, as I said that, that the plant will stop being afraid of me when I'm stop being afraid of the plant. So there was all, it was a very potent journey. Um, but the dark stuff was what really surprised me because I thought of this as this light plant. And I would, I started, I got up really early before sunrise one morning and I meditated in the cold. And man, is that a hardy plant because it's cold in the desert at night. And um, felt the sunrise together and hit my skin. And I started getting really wild. And I started kind of cultivating this wild woman energy, which I'd never really, um, I had never really played with before on this level. And I think that that's kind of like a grounded shadow. Like the wild woman can stand what she sees. She And there's um, the, the cactus grows out of its own decay. So all of the Nepal, you'll see them like with these beautiful pads, paddles coming out of their dead, their grandfathers and their ancestors. And, and I had this shadow of me that I was trying to cure and fix and in the in the moments of fear in my isolation, being afraid of the dark and the sounds of of the desert, you know, out at the ranch all by myself. And it started to teach me, you know, like the medicine here isn't just fill your cup up with light. It's stand what you can see, look at everything with and and stand in the ground like a firm warrior queen and say, you know, I can stand this. And I can stand to say, see my shadow too. And I had um I had one moment too of, of also just the vulnerability on the other side of, of the fear and strength of the spines, which is, you know, I was make, I was preparing my meal one night and I was feeling irritable and I was like, why am I feeling like this? Like, oh. And I suddenly in that space and silence, I was able to recognize like the irritability was guarding me from this vulnerable feeling of recognizing that I was doing all this work and I felt like I didn't have anyone to come home to, you know, like a child or a partner or something to celebrate with me. And, um, and I just started weeping. And that, to create space for yourself and stillness for yourself, you didn't need a psychedelic yeah. to show me that. I just needed the space and the, de and the devotion to show myself that. Um, and, and that's something I took away, you know, giving myself days of being that aren't filled with obligations and activities and noise so I can see what comes up for me so I can contemplate and feel into my deeper reality it was the most extraordinary gift and um I know we don't have unlimited time but I just want to add that uh the to add to the power of my journey I had a calling to do uh San Pedro Wachuma as my closing ceremony and I had no way to get it really and I was asking around and I finally procured it on the final day and um so for my final day of dieta, I, I got up in the morning, I created the container. And when I called into the north and I called on my ancestors to support me, I felt this wash of warmth and this knowing. And I was my plan was to go to the birthing cave, which I'd never been to and isn't on any. It's you you have to follow instructions that you Google, but it's not really easy to find. Wait, people used to do that? 
<laughs> I know life before Google. What was that? I don't know. Um, but I, I, t- I drink the medicine. I go. I follow my instructions, and uh, there's no phone signal. And I see a butterfly, and I see the mm. path, and I see the like si- the little landmarks that I had, was looking out for. And I thought, ah, that my ancestors are with me. I go up to the birthing cave. I sit there by myself for a while and breathe it in, and kind of feel into my final moments. And I'm getting ready to leave. And a woman walks in, and it's Anahata. And it was just a, a blessing and a gift. And so she helped me create a, a rebirth ceremony. She took me on a special hike wow. where we went to a bluff and uh, some cave dwellings I never would have seen otherwise. And I get home, and I go to close ceremony. I do it all. I finally get back on my phone. The first thing I see is that Don Howard passed away that morning. And I can't help but feel like he was the ancestor, the guide with me, with his medicine that he taught us all so much with. So by far the most special thing I've ever experienced. (laughs) 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 He's still with us. Yeah, where you think we're going? Where you think I'm going, brother? Exactly. I fell to my knees. Man, I should have gone before you. (laughs) (laughs) We need some levity. Let's bring it back. (laughs) Well, I, I, you know, this has been a year where I've felt called to different medicines. I've really explored. And at different times with everything going on, I've, I've used those tools alongside many other non-medicinal tools from all the forms of meditation to Tai Chi to walking with you guys and, and gals. And, um, but I think, I think if I look back on the year, there's been some equal points that were different. You know, the, the Sultara trip was really healing for me to experience that with you, Kate's and Christian and Tosh, because I felt with your presence, that deep community that we've built here, you know, and that was really important for me to feel, to know that it's not just this little triad that we have, that there is a large community here in Austin, and I feel your love, and to know that that exists, and that's, it's it's so special, it's not something to, it can be forgotten in the own ecosystem of of a family unit within one roof, you know? And I think having you there was really a big piece of that. It also, one of my intentions was to unpack any lasting jealousies that I had with Christian. And again, that circled back to my own belief. That's where I really started getting downloads in the medicine around that. Um, And of course the challenges, like everything came up for me around that, you know? us all being in the same room anytime they would snuggle things like that I would feel like well where's my snuggles that kind of shit and what's funny in talking to Christian later he felt the exact same thing you know <laughs> so you guys mastered it from the outside <laughs> but, perspective by the way I was like I want two boyfriends <laughs> <laughs> sign me up but um but yeah that was really really powerful in May and then I went I had this long stretch of really being in the doing of things and I forgot about the medicine. I forgot about not just the plant medicine, I forgot about the medicine in general, how I take care of myself and, and tend my garden on a daily basis. And uh, when we were out in Sedona, I had this feeling like I wanna recreate this experience I shared with um, some amazing people before where I had you know a couple hundred micrograms of LSD on the mountain. And um, it's funny because I, I had spoken later about 
you know, if you feel called to the microdose, do the microdose. If you end up having more, you might have been called to do the concert dose. If you go to the concert and you end up having a heroic dose, it's likely you were calling in a ceremony, right? And you just didn't recognize that by creating space prior to the ceremony to see that. And um, ended up having an, an unimaginably large dose of acid with Ian because I thought that the... <laughs> the bottle of that liquid acid that I brought with me had, I thought the pressure of the airplane had let it leaked out. And um, what actually had happened because there was far less in it on, on the microdose day was it had evaporated from the dry heat in Arizona for being in Arizona for a week. So when I reconstituted it with more water to make sure we'd get enough from it, um, it ended up being just, way more than I ever would have wanted to do in a public place. You know, uh, both of us ended up projectile vomiting. And, and of course, this is all fine in a ceremonial circumstance, set and setting, right? But in public and not being prepared for that, it was the most terrifying experience of my life. Never once have I thought 911 was an option. I've had, you know, I've guided people, I've gone through my own work. And there was never a single time where I thought like, I might need to go to the hospital. My friend might need to go to the hospital. And really thinking about, you know, his death was incredibly. I mean, I had fucking post-traumatic stress from it, you know, like really. I had, I had to do a lot of work, a lot of grounding and a lot of work to, to dump that, to let it move through me. Um, and thankfully, there was a lot of takeaways. But one of the things that I learned, because as we were up there, I recognized that I was on way higher of a dose than I thought I was much, much higher. And to put it in perspective at Burning Man, I had five hits of really good proper LSD and a large amount of pharmaceutical MDMA. And I was riding my bicycle with a smile on my face, never once experienced nausea, but up there on the mountain where I got all the downloads about a year and a half ago, I was getting none. I couldn't, I couldn't even, I was asking, do we leave? Can we make it down the mountain? No downloads. And then again, you know, to your point, Ob, whether it's the highest version of Kyle or an outside source, um, you can leave that up to debate. I firmly believe that, that we do get the connection, the deeper connection to the outside source or the deeper knowing of the source within. And um, that was cut off. That line of communication was gone. And it wasn't until we had some friends show up that were able to help us that I started getting downloads. And the first download was me taking a step to walk and to see if I could walk and almost falling and thinking like, oh, there's going to be some serious bodily injury if we attempt. So let's just lay down. And uh, we moved into the, a shady spot, uh, not a shady spot, a spot with shade. And, um, you know, we put on East Forest. And um, right when I laid down next to Ian, I started getting all the downloads but it only happened when the fear had moved away. And that lesson to me, it's weird how the greater the challenge, the greater the lesson in a lot of circumstances, but that lesson to me shows me that that is exactly how it is in everyday life. That is exactly how it is in everyday waking consciousness. There is no intuition if I'm in a state of fear, if I'm in a state of panic, there is no knowing when I'm, when I'm in fear, if, you know, if I'm just have a low level of anxiety, I can think my way out of it, but that's not knowing that's not the same. That's not, that's being in my head space, not being in my heart space.
And I took that lesson with me into every ceremony I've done since. And I've had some beautiful ones. You know, we had the start of your Dieta and the Music for Mushrooms album with East Forest, which is incredible. Um, tons of downloads from that. And just being centered and recognizing that whatever fear comes up, I need to let go of that and move through it quickly. And that's the only way to get to my knowing. And that's transformed every ceremony I've had since. I really haven't experienced medicine the same since then. And I've, I've tried and experimented with a lot of cool things. The ketamine Joe Dispenza meditations are incredible. Um, so many others that have been really transformative and beautiful. But I think that was the message that changed the way I look at my everyday waking consciousness. Wow. What a deep message. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to all you guys share your stories and share everything. And, and overwhelmingly, it's just, I'm just incredibly humbled and honored to be in the company of such great people. You know, it's, I remember, uh, <clears throat> I remember feeling really alone for a lot of my life. And uh, <clears throat> I think, you know, the first time I felt like community and and friendship on that level was when I met Bodie, um, Bodie Miller. And um, it was the first time, like, I felt like I had I had a real friend, you know, and uh, and someone that I admired. And um, and I'm just sitting here listening to you guys and, and just such amazing gratitude and admiration. And that's uh, really amazing, you know. And everybody may assume that I'm the, you know, <clears throat> fearless leader. <laughs> you are. Uh, I mean, uh, but, but honestly, like, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's just so amazing to know that regardless of what I'm able to offer, that you are all here and so many people listening are all here and that, you know, if one of us falls or if I, can't carry on that you'll pick up right where I left off no matter what and it's just beautiful Amazing. to the end you know I uh, in quite contrast to Eric uh, I've started purging on every medicine <laughs> <laughs> even medicines that I've never purged on before so if I smoke DMT I purge now if I do mushrooms I purge um, and I think it's uh, you know I'm I'm unraveling uh, some very deep programming and patterns and my body is kind of retching out these the the kind of the <clears throat> you know the way that the constant stress and the constant desire to compete and do has left a residue like the body keeps the score mm -hmm. it's, you know a great book and and that my body has kept the score of this and it's built up a residue and and it's it's telling me over and over again like this isn't this isn't the way forward man like something's got to change but i haven't had the courage or the awareness or whatever to change that so i can't point to one single ceremony this year but i can point to what all of the ceremonies 
have shown me. The only one that I haven't purged on actually is 5-MeO because I feel like that just rockets me straight to union with source. And it's like, bah, here I am in pure radical love. Like everybody hug me. There's no body to purge There's from. There's no body to purge from. <laughs> it's obliteration. Exactly. It's just like, it's obliteration into the all. And in the all, like I'm in, I'm fully complete and there's nothing, there's nothing that, there's no residue anymore because I'm no body. I'm nobody. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that's everybody, you know, nobody, everybody. That's the same thing. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, it's it's uh, I think I have to look at my own experiences in totality and and just recognize that it's, you know, it's time for me to really, um, you know, they they classically say when you purge, it's not getting sick, it's getting well. Mm. And uh mm -hmm. I'm in a in a long process of getting well, and I think all of you watching you all get more well mm -hmm. is just inspiring and gives me even more courage and more permission and more incentive to do the same. And um, and that's what having friends like you all is really all about. You know, it's just like being able to look at your brothers and sisters and be like, okay, like they're doing it, so can I. I can do this. You know, and not trying to maintain. Like this idea, like, oh, yeah, I've been at this a long time. You know, you know, <laughs> I remember when I first learned that I couldn't purge. I didn't need to purge. Yeah, that was, that was good phase one for me, too. You know, I was like, no, fuck, I'm not I'm so far from there. By the ayahuasca, I would be just shitting and puking the whole time. I'd just be rolling around like fucking <sighs> spectacle. Um, but like, you know, and that's okay. It's okay that I am where I am and I don't need to pretend like oh, i'm in a fucking great spot you know and i got this fucking thing you know this is where i am and that spot is great for me and it's it's all good um one kind of notable one and, and and again we're not like trying to be tell everybody go out and do psychedelics and whatever like obviously kyle told a, a story that was incredibly scary i mean he texted me i remember i got a text from kyle i've never gotten a text like this he goes Aubrey, this is a life situation. <laughs> I go, you, my phone's in 16 dimensions <laughs> typing it. And so I'm, at the ranch, type like, it. I'm at the ranch just writing and like, he's like, this is a life situation. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and I knew it was bad though. He's never not made sense before. I was like, fucking hell, does anybody have eyes on Kyle? And then like, and then I started getting some feedback and, and uh, I was really worried. I thought you fell. Like, I thought you'd, like, fallen off a, mm. off the hike, you know? And I was like, yeah. fucking, this is, like, and I started crying in the kitchen as I'm making no. my fucking chili dogs. Um, and <laughs> it's funny because I was making chili dogs. But yeah, pretty and much they're, ate they're chili really dogs, good. like, every other meal <laughs> out there in Sedona. Uh, but, uh, yeah, shout out to Kel and Fire Chili. <laughs> really good. <laughs> really good. Um, but then I really, then someone was like, oh, Kyle took way too much acid. I was like, oh, thank God. All right. <laughs> make uh, he'll, it. he'll be all right. He'll be all right. It's just, it's like Alberto said, we can fix anything but dead. And I knew that can be a really incredibly challenging experience. But as long as you didn't fall, like you're going to, you're going to make it through. And uh, it was obviously great to see you come in and be able to give you that big old hug and, and yes. Ian too on the backside of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, one interesting experience I had was I had my first nitrous flood. Mm. which was uh i would you wouldn't call it a psychedelic at all and i'm not also recommending this, this is not a recommendation like whatever you d decide what you want to decide for yourself but in the 5meo what was so magical about it is the evaporation of self into the merge 
and the union with the what you could call the all or unicity. You know, you can use God if you want to, if you're comfortable with that word. I am. Um, but as you become nothing, you become everything. And it's not the same. Nitrous is not the same as 5-MeO. It's a different experience with a different intensity and a different knob. But you do a flood of nitrous, and I'd never done this. A lot of people have. And I was like late to the party, I guess, you know, 38, doing my first balloon of nitrous. <laughs> but, uh, but feeling my body again evaporate, I had a similar signature of like, oh, when I'm nothing, I'm everything. And it feels fucking awesome. And, um, you know, like you got to that place. And, and I think for me, it's a place that's that there's just the deepest peace. There's the deepest peace in the evaporation of self because the self for me holds so much anxiety and so much trying and so much doing. Um, and so that was really interesting and surprising for me because I thought it was like a party thing. And it was like, but it was actually really profound and just really helped me realize how when you become nothing, like how much of there is that's available and when you get yourself out of the way. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's, a, that's an overview of my medicine journeys for the year. What a year. What a year we've had, right? <laughs> what a fucking year. Um, well, thanks for doing this, everybody. Thank yeah, you. I love you guys so much. It's a total honor. I love yeah. you all. I'm excited to keep it going. Yeah, likewise. And, you know, uh, for those of you, we talked a lot about our fit for service. We're the, you know, four... Um, long-term coaches of that program, the Fit for Service Mastermind. Uh, for those listening now, um, we're accepting applications for 2020. And uh, just, I know I'm really excited just to see what other, you know, family comes through, you know, because Absolutely. Uh, universally, totally universally, like what we found was it wasn't just a group of people that we were coaching. This was a group of people that we were, you know, pushing the same boulder with you know, and just like a real tribe that everybody ended up, you know, ultimately falling in love with each other. And in this room right now are two people who are started off as, as members. I remember playing tetherball with Wyatt and even though he's seven foot 11, I was still beating him <laughs> in tetherball, <laughs> but now he's here and doing an amazing job with the videos. Christian's come on and has been doing an incredible job too. And just the quality of human that we've been able to interact with and, and watching how the group has, also shown up for each other you know i just had a meeting here with two different members who didn't know each other who formed a new business it sounds incredible together and a lot yeah. of people have done the same and people are launching retreats launching and hosting retreats their own masterminds and, it's turned into something so much bigger yeah and i i i yeah absolutely we're all in love with each other and we want to fall in love with more people, more people yeah. <laughs> there's more, infinite love it truly feels like there's something reaching through us bringing together people in a way that's making ripples in a way that we can't see and it's completely an honor to be a part of whatever this thing is and it feels so much bigger than us and just thank you to everyone who showed up this year no doubt and aubrey for you for having the audacity to think that we could do this man <laughs> thank you well it took me a while i remember i had the vision for this at don howard's like the first time we did wachuma yeah and saw how going through that transformative wachuma experience with everybody because wachuma is different than other medicines in that it's very communal you're hiking together you're yeah. walking together you're exploring together you're walking rotating around the mesa together you're it's eyes open it's not eyes closed your journey the person next to you's journey like you're all collectively in this thing together and it was yeah. this call of like oh like if we could galvanize this thing 
it could be far greater than the sum of its parts. And I didn't know what it was going to be called then. But, um, you know, again, it came from Don Howard's words, which is to to be of, you know, to be fit for service, you have to be, uh, you know, to be of service, you have to be fit for service. Yeah. You know, something that he would always say. And um, and that's where the idea was born. I was like, it starts here with us. And, and then, then, so, and and then the, it ripples out. And the quote that comes to mind is, never underestimate a small group of people who think that they can change the world because, in fact, those are the only people who ever have. And that's what this feels like. Yeah. It's a special thing. So if anybody feels called to it, you know, it's not, not for everybody and we get that and we love and we're going to share everything like we did here, all the lessons and everything we learned. But if you feel called for it, just apply and, uh, and see, if, uh, see if it's the right fit and we'll talk to you and we'll see if it's the right fit for you. Yeah. Can't wait to meet you guys. Yeah, <laughs> likewise. Yeah. And we'll, some of you listening here will be, uh, will be hugging us in, uh, in Tulum and Sedona and um, Montreal and Tahoe and all the places that we're going to go next year. So, um, and some of the existing people will still be there anchoring this, this new community too, which is going to be fucking awesome. Cause I love those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're obsessed with you. Yeah. All right. Um, Caitlin, your Instagram, everything, what, where yep. people find it's you at Caitlin, how underscore that's C A I T L Y N H O W E underscore. So complicated. <laughs> First well, you got ca- your, apparently there's a lot of Caitlin Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Okay. Yeah, and mine's uh, my name, Eric Godsey, uh, C-K, G-O-D-S-E-Y. You'll oh, get it. Dude, all these variations on the normal spelling here in this thing. <laughs> Thanks, thank, thankfully, Kyle's just fucking Kyle. And He's you got the Miss That Make Us podcast. Yes, yeah, yeah. the Miss yep. That Make Us. Kyle Kingsbury podcast at Kingsboo on Instagram, Twitter, and the website, kingsboo.com. Yeah. And a communal sorry to the guy who got punched in the ear, whose head was stuck <laughs> between Ellis-mania. the ropes at Ellis Mania. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, not yeah. sorry. He got a fight. <laughs> Shit happens. I, I really enjoyed that show thoroughly. It was so. amazing, and that guy was that guy was great. He was giving us nothing but hugs and uh, and love at the end of that too. So. All, all who doesn't want to get punched show. by Kyle Kingsbury? Well, listen, they were—they you know? knew he was in the uh, ring. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, beautiful. Well, I love you guys so much. Love you, brother. Yeah. We love you guys. Peace, everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining us in this podcast experience, really, more than anything. And I just appreciate you guys so much for coming along the ride and supporting myself and Kyle and Caitlin and Eric in all the journeys that we've experienced and always being there for us. You guys are fucking awesome. We really love y'all. So if you feel called to it, once again, go to aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service and see if that's something that calls to you. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next week.